Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It's funny, isn't it, because we're always inviting, we're lucky to have so many amazing speakers and I'm often introducing them. But today's speaker, this comes from a very deep place in my heart. Um, I first met Jonathan David Helser in a coffee shop in the Crossroads district of Kansas City in the year 2004. And we sat and, and drank an excellent coffee whilst discussing the fact that we both have very brave wives who both live with chronic illness and how do we live well as husbands and as leaders, um, honest about the struggles, but also full of faith and hope and joy in Jesus Christ. And that was the beginning of a friendship that's lasted now 18 years. And then Sammy and I became firm friends with Jonathan and Melissa very quickly after that. And then they went on to go and become sort of famous and stuff um, because... What you will, many of you will know about them publicly is they've written some of the most sung songs in the world today. Songs like Raise a Hallelujah and um, No Longer Slaves and, and others, uh, which have been streamed like a zillion times. And um, those songs are so rich in the theology and the life that these guys live. It's one of the things I appreciate. It's not just a good melody, it's theologically rich. It's disciple-making. Those of you who are wildfires would have seen that they're not really into just doing a set list or just doing you know, a few songs. They're people who, more than anything, want to minister and use music to do that and to draw people into the presence of God. What you may not know about them is that they live in one of the most beautiful Christian communities I've ever seen in Sophia in North Carolina, uh, on a site that was actually originally purchased by uh, Jonathan's dad, Ken. Um, and actually, if any of you have read my book, How to Hear God, you'll have heard the amazing story of, of how God uh, called uh, Jonathan David to do all that he is doing to this day. It's an amazing, supernatural uh, story. And uh, that community that they lead there, um, it does a number of things. It's, it, it, there's a, a phenomenal sort of brand called Cageless Birds that does everything from leather working to coffee roasting uh, to um, working the land and, you know, photography. And they make an amazing journal uh, that's worth subscribing to. It's full of devotional material and thoughtful content. Um, and then they also uh, are just world-class at discipling people. Uh, they've got a, a um, I'm probably going to use the wrong language, but it's like a discipleship program, a formation program. Particularly, I would say, for creative uh, creatives. Um, but, but I'm sure anyone can do it. It's called The 18-Inch Journey, which is always like crazy oversubscribed. It's sort of like, you know... I, you know, I don't know every, every place gets, you know, could be filled three times over. And it's just this brilliant and beautiful uh, context in which people's uh, hearts are healed and their minds are shaped 
and they detox from some of the really uh, unhealthy things in our culture, and lives are, are, are formed and shaped. And then out of that community, music comes. And I had the great privilege just before COVID of sitting in their living room one night as their core community just gathered around and worshipped. And it was genuinely like being caught up in, in, into heaven, just spontaneous music. It was so beautiful. And they um, have, I'm thrilled, released now a live album pretty much from that living room. It's like that experience we had, they kind of captured. Uh, and it's uh, called The Land We're Living In. Uh, came out this year. And it's, you know, it's the great songs, but what I love is that it's live, so you catch the kind of energy and the roughness and the prophetic flow of it. And so these guys are good fun. Uh, Jonathan took a photograph that hangs on our wall to this day uh, that says the word grace, and that really sums our lives up. So I wonder, uh, if you're able to do so, um, in just, just before Jonathan comes up, we're going to have the reading of God's word. So if you're able to do so, would you stand out of respect for God's word. And uh, I think Sarah is going to come and read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Thanks. Amen. Thanks be to God. So stay standing. Stay standing, because I'm tricking you into doing a standing ovation. Please welcome Jonathan David Helser. Take as long as you want. Good morning. It is such an honor to be in this beautiful nation. Since I was a wee little teenager, God has woven my heart to the UK. I came here when I was 19 years old and did a DTS with YWAM. And I think for the last decade, our family's been here at least once or twice a year. Um, and then since the pandemic, we haven't been able to come. And so we've had like two and a half years of energy stored up, waiting to release on this beautiful land. Uh, we just counted last night. We d have done five worship sets in the last five days. Um, but I still have so much left. I think it's the two years of not being able to be here and be a part of this incredible story that God is telling in this land. And I'm very, very honored to be here. I loved being at Wildfires. Um, we, Big Church Festival and the other stuff was like uh, the second reason we came, but Wildfires was really the first reason. And um, we have learned so much from Pete and Sammy. The How to Pray book uh, was just a catalyst for the community that we lead. And um, we're just so honored to be in this beautiful house in this beautiful city. I love that I get to speak on Pentecost Sunday. 
I love the Holy Spirit. I love that you can't say the name of the Holy Spirit without worshiping. It's holy. The holy, just the first name of the Holy Spirit is worship, Holy Spirit. And I have such a deep affection and gratitude for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love how many names there are for God because each name unlocks another realm of his nature and personality and character to explore. There's so many names for the Holy Spirit. It's hard to choose a favorite. You know, it's like choosing your favorite ice cream. But I think right now, one of my favorite names for the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. The gift of the Father. And so many other incredible things that the Holy Spirit is. An advocate, a teacher, the spirit of truth, the comforter. The power that clothes us to do the things that Jesus did. But the promise of the Father. And maybe, maybe it's because I've got to be a father for the last 20 years. I have a 20-year-old son named Cadence and a 16-year-old daughter named Haven. And I've loved being a father. And one of my favorite things about being a father is buying them gifts. I would probably never say this in America. Actually, I would never say this in America, but I can say it here. But my son turns 21 next year, and I have a 21-year-old whiskey waiting for him. I bought it a few years ago. Um, but it was the year that he was born, it was poured into the barrel. And I'm just waiting to give him this bottle of scotch. It's, it's hidden up in my closet. And my goal in every gift that I give is that my children know how much my heart burns for affection for them. How much I love them and adore them. And before I even saw their face, I was mesmerized by who they were. And that the Holy Spirit is called the gift, the promise of the Father. And the Father had it like up on his top shelf just waiting. And it had been aging and just waiting. And on this day of Pentecost, he, I mean, I, I can't wait to give a 21-year-old bottle of scotch. But he's been waiting since Eden. He's been waiting since the foundation of the world. Not to be distant, but to be not just upon them, but inside them. Not just watching, but in them. Christ in them. The anointing in them and covering them and with them. In the darkest valley and the highest mountain and in everything in between, he would be God with them. And this is the gift, the promise of the Father. And with every gift that I get to give my children, it's to confirm how much I love them. How much I adore them. My wife has taught me so much about the Holy Spirit. They're like the best of friends. 
And there's some moments I think I know the Holy Spirit, and, and then Melissa just shows me another side of the wild, beautiful freedom and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And my wife says that the Holy Spirit is the crescendo of the cross. Have you ever been in a, a symphony and when the, the music brings you to that crescendo, right? To that point of complete ecstasy almost where you come out of your body almost and you, you get lost and then you get found again. Or last night they had fireworks at Big Church Festival. You know that last moment when they like, we're going to unleash everything we got. The crescendo of the fireworks and it fully captures who you are. And the Holy Spirit is this crescendo of heaven being poured into us. And it's not like the Holy Spirit wasn't a part of the story before, but there was something on Pentecost where it just became even more than tangible. It filled them. I love that the Spirit, we first see the Spirit hovering over the waters in the beginning, right? Hovering like a mother eagle, hovering over her nest. The Spirit is brooding over the water. We were singing this morning. The worship was incredible this morning. So proud of you guys. Stunning. And as we were singing the, some of the words of David, first we started with Be Thou My Vision, which is the hymn of my heart. And, but as we were singing the praise the Lord, O my soul, the Psalm 103, that word praise is the word, the Hebrew word Barak, which means to kneel and to bless, to kneel down and adore. And David could adore the Father. Because the word Barak first showed up when God was blessing Adam and Eve in the garden. Before he commissioned them, it says God blessed them. And that's the first time the word Barak is seen in the Bible. It's not David giving it to God. It's God giving it to David. Before the commission came the blessing. And it says the father Bless them, which means to kneel down and adore. God came onto their level, face to face with the dirt, and he breathed into them. The Father breathed himself into Adam and Eve. For me, one of the crescendos of the New Testament for me is Romans chapter 8. You know how there's, do you, do you, some of you have like a chapter that you're, you know you're going to read the rest of your life and it's going to mesmerize you each time. And for me, it's, it's Romans 8. And there's this moment in Romans 8. Romans 8, um, verse 14 It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. 
And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 16, one more time. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you encountered God in a Disney movie before? Every time I see the Lion King, especially if I see it on the West End, I saw it once here in London. And every time I watch the Lion King story, I just, I encounter the Lord in a new way. And there's the moment in the Lion King, if you remember, it's the, the young king, Simba, who's forgotten who he is. And he's hiding in the land of a, a Kuna Matata as a scaredy cat, as Pete said this morning. And he's forgotten who he is and fear has stolen his inheritance. Shame has kept him locked in a prison of guilt. And he's left the land of his inheritance. And he has an encounter with Rafiki. And Rafiki leads him to the stream. And in the stream, he, he looks and he sees himself. And all of a sudden, inside of himself, he sees his father. And Mufasa says, you have forgotten who I am. Therefore, you've forgotten who you are. Remember. Remember. <laughs> and as Simba remembers who his father is, he remembers who he is, and he comes out of the cage of fear, and he runs back to his promised land. He faces his scars, but he's going in the power of who his father said he was. Just like this moment with Peter, right? 51 days before Pentecost, or 53 days, I guess, some, somewhere in there, 50-some days. He's, he's by a fire denying who Jesus is. And then 50 days later, he is filled with this tangible confirmation that he's a son. And then he stands up on Pentecost, and it's like this transition from Simba of this cage of fear going all the way back to his inheritance. And Peter stands in confidence, no longer a scaredy cat, but as a son, confident in who he is. One moment, he's denying who Jesus is in front of one, and then all of a sudden, he's preaching in 3,000 or six. So God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we are. It's, it's testifying to us. That's how Eugene Peterson, I want to read it from the message. Who's thankful for the message? I'm just finishing Eugene's autobiography and just stunned by his story. And it's made the, the message come back alive again. And for me, and he says in Romans 8, 14 through 17, listen to this. This is wonderful. He says, this resurrection life you receive from God, it's not a timid, grave-tending life. No, it's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, 
What's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. So he is the spirit of truth revealing to us our truest identity, sons and daughters of the father. I love the moment in Matthew 4 when Jesus has lived 30 years of life. And up to this point, we know very little. We know of the moment where his parents lost him when he was 12. And we know of his birth and the moments around that. But other than that, we know nothing of these 30 sacred years of the word being flesh. And he comes to the Jordan waters to be baptized by his cousin, John. And as he is dipped down in the waters in his cousin's arms, he comes up out of the baptism waters. And the voice of the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before any miracles, before any ministry, before any discipleship or signs or wonders, he is baptized in belovedness. And the father says, this is my boy in whom my pleasure rests upon. And then it says, the spirit came like a dove and rested upon Jesus, covered Jesus. The spirit coming to confirm what the father had just said in a tangible way. My gifts as a father are a tangible way of saying, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. And the spirit comes like a dove. Remember the spirit at the beginning we saw hovering over the waters. And here comes the spirit. And this is the first time that we see all three members of the Trinity showing up on the earth together like this. And then from we go from Matthew 4 and the spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness, right? And as Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy comes. And the first thing the enemy says is, if you are the son of God, turn the stones in the bread. Now, what did the father, what did the father just say to the son? You are my beloved son. And here comes the lie that I believe is the greatest lie we all face. The lie questioning our belovedness. It was the same lie, the same suspicion that the serpent whispered into the hearts of Adam and Eve in Eden. Did God really say you're the beloved? Prove it. Turn the stones in the bread. And I love this moment because the word that became flesh is quoting the words of Deuteronomy. The, word, the love letter that God wrote to the children of Israel to teach them that they were no longer slaves, but they were royalty. It was the letter he wrote to them in the wilderness journey. The wilderness journey was a journey to confirm their belovedness. 
Every day he's feeding them breakfast in bed. He's taking care of their clothes. He's covering them with a cloud. He's warming them with a fire. And he's teaching them they're no longer slaves, but they're sons and daughters who are seen and who are known and who are cared for. And he's longing for their roots to go deep enough in sonship and daughterhood that their branches can hold the weight of the fruit of the promised land. And Jesus quotes these words of Deuteronomy to the enemy and his lie that came against him. If you're the son of God, turn the stones and the bread. And, the, and Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I don't know what the 40 days look like, but I just have a picture of some of the days, some of the moments of Jesus going, I'm the beloved. I am so the beloved. I'm the beloved. I'm the, oh, I am the beloved. And you know, they say the way that they teach people to recognize counterfeit money, you know, counter, counterfeit bills is they have them. They don't have them study the, the counterfeit bills. They have them just obsess over the original. And they just study the original bill and they hold it and they fill it over and over and over and over again. So when a lie is placed in their hands, a counterfeit is placed in their hands, they can instantly recognize it. And for 40 days, I believe Jesus was dripping with the baptism waters of his belovedness. And it was saturating every part of who he was. So when the lie showed up, he knew, no, I am the son. His tangible seal is upon me. And I believe this is the battle that I, I know it's the battle that I face. I believe it's the battle we all face is this voice of the accuser questioning our belovedness. It's the cage of fear that he longs for us to stay in, as Pete was saying. And at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, this lie came and this very lie comes at the very end as he's hanging on the cross. What did they say? If you are the son of God, you could get yourself down from that cross. And even in that moment, he's crying out, Father. See, the first Adam, when he believed the lie, he hid naked behind a tree. But this last Adam, when he hears the lie, he hangs naked on a tree and says, here I am. Here I am, Father, forgive them. And Jesus takes his sword right to the very root of that first suspicion that we're not the beloved. And so I believe the beauty and the gift and the joy and the wildness of the Holy Spirit and the friendship and the adventure we're on with him is this one of discovering that we're sons and daughters. George MacDonald says, now that we are the sons of God, let us become the sons of God. So we're in this beautiful maturing process of becoming all the fathers dreamed us to be. I... I couldn't wait to be a father. 
Because I, I had a father who, he wasn't perfect, but he pointed me to the father of fathers. Even in his mistakes and his brokenness, he kept pointing me to the father. And he was a father who was my biggest fan, whether I was playing basketball or whatever I was doing, he was my biggest fan, my dad. And I didn't know this growing up, but my parents had been carrying a prophetic word before I was born that I would write music one day. Before I was born, they were given a word that one day I would write music. And they never told me this. They just prayed into it. And I, had, I, I didn't want anything to do with music when I was a kid. I just wanted to beat my dad in whatever game we were playing. I was the most competitive kid you've ever met, so full of passion and so competitive. And around 17 years old at summer camp, I began to encounter the songs of Vineyard and Kevin Prosh, and I think we first started singing some of the Delirious songs. And at that summer camp, I began to encounter the tangible presence of Jesus in worship. And I was the kid that would get saved every year at summer camp and promised that I would be the best Christian ever when I went back home. And then I was worse than I was the year before. I was like, how could I do it worse than I did last year? And every year I'd have to get saved again. And my senior year of high school, I was like, there's something about in worship. Something happens to my heart. Maybe I could learn some of those songs. And I went to my dad's bedroom one night, and I said, Dad, do you, I, I remember you had an old guitar in the attic. Could you teach me a few chords? And you've never seen an old man run so fast to get a guitar. Because he'd been, he'd been sitting on this word for 17 years just going, man, maybe the prophet totally got it wrong. And he ran, and he gets, he gets a guitar, and he begins to teach me chords. And I remember, I think I learned, Lord, prepare me. To be a sanctuary. It was three chords, so. And I, I learned that song, and that's when the addiction began. Because I realized I didn't have to be in the meeting to get the presence. Just me and my guitar and his presence would come. And the next year, I, I came over here to the UK to do a DTS. And while I was up in Nuneaton, anybody from Nuneaton? I was in Nuneaton, England, in the beautiful countryside, and I began to write my first songs. And my dad came over to visit. He actually got to speak at my DTS, and my mom and dad came over. And the last night of their visit, a friend handed me a guitar, and he says, you have to play your dad that song. And I was so nervous, guys. Petrified, actually. I was shaking. Could barely hold my instrument. And he's sitting like, from me to you. And I begin to play him this song. Can you taste the power of the age to come? Can you feel the beat of Elijah's drum? Can you hear Miriam with her tambourine? Can't you see King David dance and sing? <clears throat> and the whole song was about this worship movement that I was feeling coming. And was a part of, and I, I didn't know what I was even singing about. I, I wrote a line called, can you feel the beat of Elijah's drum? And it just felt like, I felt God when I sang it, so I left it there. I'll tell you more about that in a second. So I sing my dad this song, 
And at the end of it, he looks at me and he goes, son, who wrote that song? I was like, I, I did, dad. Is it any good? And all of a sudden, like crocodile tears just jump out of my dad's eyes. And a smile like the sun breaking just comes across his face. It's great when someone smiles and cries at the same time, right? And just tangible pleasure emanates from his face into my heart. And he said, son, you have no idea how long I've been waiting to hear that song. And over the next few weeks, he began to tell me of this prophetic word they had been carrying in their heart. And he said, for 20 years, we've been praying for these songs. And I was just absolutely astonished that I'm in the middle of this story. And I remember it was a few weeks after my parents left. I, it's hard to find a quiet place in a YWAM base, but I found one. And I got my guitar out and I began to sing to the Lord. And as I'm singing, his spirit just fills the room. And, and I feel his voice say to me, you think your dad's been waiting a long time? See, I've been waiting before the foundation of the world to hear your song. And his spirit was touching my spirit and confirming who I was. And I was an awful worship leader, guys. Like, it was a train wreck every time I led worship. And I had so many moments those first five years, I still have them sometimes now, where I walk off the stage and I'm like, I'm never leading worship again because I'm terrible at it. You know, fear points its sword at the exact place we're made for greatness. The lies, they, the lies attack us right where we're made for greatness. And so... That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that when I walk off the stage, the Holy Spirit's there like, you're still a son. You are a son. You've always been one. And you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by what I've done. Rest in your belovedness. You guys up for one more story? And so when... Me and Melissa met in 2000, uh, we met in 98 and got married in 2000. And a year later, we found out we were pregnant. The day we found out we were pregnant, I couldn't believe that I was going to be a dad. And we're laying in bed the night, that first night after our pregnancy test, and I can't go to sleep because my heart is just beating wildly with the reality that I'm going to be a dad. It was like, you remember the Christmas Eve nights trying to go to sleep? And I just couldn't because I was just so full of expectancy. And as I'm laying there, I'm just dreaming about the things I'm going to get to do. And we had already chosen a name. Whether it was a boy or a girl, the Lord had given Melissa a name, Cadence. Which cadence is the sound that the army marches to. It's the rhythm that the army marches to. It's what they play. It's the sound of the march. And I'm laying there and I'm just dreaming about the things I'm going to do with cadence. Take him to the ocean for the first time. Take him camping. Teach him who God is. And, and I'm, I'm overcome with the reality that I 
get to shape his life with my affection and my prayer. And so Melissa's fast asleep, and I just quietly, like, just take my hand and hover it over her belly. Don't want to wake her up. And I, I say, Cadence, I don't even know if you're a boy or girl. And you don't even have ears yet, but you have a spirit. And your father is already mesmerized by who you are. My mind is already full of how much I love you. And I bless you right now. I bless your spirit. And I start to get a little more charismatic and a little louder. And you're going to be a world changer cadence. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to go further than me or your grandfather or your mother or your grandmother ever went. And now I'm, I'm like really charismatic. And Melissa wakes up. She's like, what are you doing? You can wait nine and a half months and get up as much as you want in the middle of the night. And I, I really was so excited about being a dad. I wrote, my, my, I wrote Cadence a couple songs. And one of the songs I wrote him was taken from the way the priest would bless Israel. And it was, Father, bless this child. May his eyes see your face. May his ears hear your voice. May his heart love you always. And... I woke Melissa up a couple more times through the pregnancy, especially when I noticed, like, as her belly got bigger, I could pray and Cadence would start kicking. It was, a cool, it was just really fun to see that happen. And Cadence comes into our world on March the 1st, 2002. Remember, the Cadence starts the march. So Cadence comes into our world on March the 1st at 1030 at night. And around midnight after our friends and family had been there, Melissa's fast asleep and I, I go over and I scoop up Cadence and we're going to have our first moment together. And I take him out into the hospital hallway where it's a quiet place and I sit him on my lap and I begin to sing this prayer. Father, bless this child. May his eyes see your face. His ears hear your voice. May his heart love you always. And as I'm singing this song, he's fast asleep. And his little eyes go, boom. And it's like this Adam-God moment where we're face to face. And he's looking into my eyes. I'm looking into his. And all of a sudden, it's like I can hear his little spirit saying, you're the guy. You're the guy who's been waking me and mommy up for the last nine and a half months. And it was like he was saying to me, my whole life I've heard your voice, but now I see your face. And I was a mess. I'm just weeping, looking at my boy. It was the heaviest eight pounds I've ever held in my life. Because I realized this is my son and whom my words will affect more than anyone. 
And as I'm looking at him, I realize this is what it's going to be like when we close our eyes here and we open our eyes in eternity. We're going to see the face of a father and we're going to gasp as my son did. You're the guy. You're the guy who's been singing over us our whole life. And every sunset and every sunrise and every wave and every flower his hands paint and every leaf, he's singing his affection to us. And from the beginning, his spirit was brooding over the waters with a dream for sons and daughters. And so to close, I just want to bless you with a fresh awareness that his spirit, the gift of his spirit, as Eugene Peterson says, is to touch your spirit and confirm who you really are. I heard this story of a man in South Africa, and he was visiting a nature preserve. And on this massive nature preserve, animal reserve, they were going to release a rare eagle that had been in the Pretoria Zoo for 15 years. And there weren't many of this specific type of bird in the wild. And so they had this ceremony where they were going to open the cage door and the eagle was going to fly into freedom and everyone was going to watch this moment. And so they, they, they talk about the bird and they, you know, they build everything up to this crescendo and they open the cage door and the bird doesn't budge. Five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour goes by. The crowds leave. And this, this man sitting there, he knows he's in a teaching moment. Like something's about to happen. And see, it wasn't that the bird was in the cage. The cage was in the bird. And the bird had forgotten who it was. It had been defined by the prison around it. And suddenly, above Another bird of its kind flies over and lets out an eagle cry. And as the sound above the caged bird comes out, the bird in the cage instantly remembers who he is and flies out. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. It's this free eagle and as it landed on Jesus, it is upon us, confirming who we are. So as Pete was saying this morning, let's not go back to this cage, but let's follow the sound of this freedom that heaven is singing over us. We are the sons and daughters of God. So I'd love to just say a prayer over each of your belovedness. Father, thank you for every son and daughter here this morning. Thank you for this Pentecost Sunday, us celebrating the moment when you poured yourself into us. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Romans 5, 5 says, you're pouring your love into us through the Spirit. And it's releasing a hope that does not disappoint. So beautiful spirit of God, come now 
and confirm our belovedness. You've been singing over us our whole life. Would you open our ears to hear the song today of your kindness and affection? That we would rise out of the cages of fear as we hear your song into the fullness of who you've made us to be. So I bless you now in Jesus' name to soar in your identities. To rise in beautiful confidence. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Let's stand together, shall we? I just want to invite the Spirit to come in even more power in just a moment. But four snapshots. One, Jonathan running upstairs to get that 21-year-old bottle of whiskey. The time has come. Two, Jonathan's dad running to get the guitar. He's finally asked for that thing that's been prayed for for all those years. The time has come. Thirdly, Jonathan staring into the eyes of Cadence, newborn, and he sees the face whose voice he has known. The time has come. And then, uh, fourthly, the bird released from the cage hears another one crying and takes flight. The time has come. And I don't really understand the timing of God. It seems to me that He's sometimes really slow. <laughs> but I do know the time comes. As surely as a baby will be born, as surely as the seasons will turn, the time will come. And so um, I, I believe this is a moment for some of us where things we've dreamt of and prayed for are just being activated. The time has come. The cage door's been opened, it's time to fly. There's something been born in you, it's time to look into the Father's face and recognize the voice. There's a sense of stepping into calling things which have been deep within you that maybe you've not wanted or you've not been aware of are being activated in you and the Father is running to get the guitar. <laughs> There's a sense that this is a moment in which the Father is giving you a gift that he's been keeping for you all your life. And the weariness and the cynicism and even the sin within you will say, there is no gift, it's just more of the same. But these moments come. And we've been reminded so beautifully by Jonathan that it's the Father's delight to give the Spirit to those who ask him. He said at the start, his favorite name of the Holy Spirit right now is promise of the Father, promise of the Father. And if you have had a great father, you will have resonated deeply with many of Jonathan's stories and thought, wow, if the Father feels like that about me, I know the Father wants to give me the Spirit. And if you've had a terrible experience of fatherhood, 
then how much more can you know in the love of the Father in heaven his desire to give you the Spirit? So we're not going to take long over this, but I think it's really important, especially on Pentecost Sunday, to respond. So you know how to do this, guys. Why don't we just open our hands? Not just talk about the Spirit. And so, Spirit of God, would you come amongst us now? Would you baptize us this Pentecost Sunday? Would you activate things long buried? Would you pour out your gifts upon us? Come, Holy Spirit. And now we just wait, just receive from the Spirit. sensing for one or two people here there's a one of the things that the Lord's been doing this morning is actually speaking to you about your own parenting and renewing in you grace and joy and vision for your own parenting Romans 8 says that the spirit within us cries Abba Father and as he's revealing that to you, he's also speaking to you about your own fathering and mothering. So Lord, I pray for fresh joy and fresh grace. Particularly someone here, you've got a, a child who's got profound, is profoundly challenging. And at times you felt so guilty and broken with that. I believe the Lord wants to renew in you today. Grace, grace, grace. We just break all condemnation over your life in the name of Jesus. May you know the love of the Father that you may love unconditionally. We break all condemnation in the name of Jesus. one or two people just gather around there and just minister the love of the Holy Spirit he's spoken because he's doing a work there one of the things that's been happening as Jonathan's spoken is an impartation of his own heart did you notice how that desire for worship just grew within you as you listened to him now some of us that's just because we're just catching what's in his cup you know it's just like oh yeah I remember I love I want to worship on my own I want to you know I want to uh, sing songs to the Lord but some of you it's an actual call there's something stirring within you in the realm of songwriting and worship leading and it may be something you've laid down in the past that God's bringing up 
in a fresh way, or maybe something you've not verbalized before. But just raise your hands, those of you who are sensing that. It's like a call to a depth in worshipping and worship leading in a specific way. Just raise your hands. Keep your hands up, those of you. And I'm just going to ask, um, Johnny, would you, just, would you just pray something impartational over these guys? Keep your hands up. Just get what you can from this guy. Thank you. Holy Spirit, you are hovering over the waters. You are hovering over these hearts. You are hovering over the sound, Father, you sung into their DNA even before their mother's womb. And right now we bless the songs you were born to sing, that they would not be an echo of someone else's songs, but they would be songs of authority. Like Peter saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They would be confessions of brutal honesty and beautiful praise. We release you now in Jesus' name. And we ask that the anointing that Samuel poured over David that activated the worshiping warrior that sung and demons fled. We ask that songs that bring peace to anxious hearts would come out of these lives. Pour your anointing over these worshipers that they would be addicted to your smile, Father, all the days of their life. And from the secret place, they would give us a taste of the glory. Lord, I bless these worshipers and I bless the song of this house, God, Emmaus Road, that they would be songs that would cause this nation's heart to burn again. Songs that break the bread, God, and cause eyes to remember who you are. God, I ask for songs, even songs of the table, songs of fellowship that cause eyes to be opened and see Jesus. And run again, and run again, and run again back to who they were made to be. God, I ask for songs of the free eagle. Songs that cause a generate the generations to remember and soar. So we bless songs of deliverance out of this house, out of all the campuses represented, God. Release a confidence like David before Goliath. Songs of radical belovedness.